Greetings all. Hi, this is Teresa Willard-Hughes, and I'm really proud to say that I'm going to do this podcast. Someone has been listening to my podcast all along, and she's just, Jean, will you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, I am Jean. As Teresa said, I reached out to her after having found the podcast, you know, just felt really called to reach out and, and say thank you for giving a voice to all of the complicated feelings that, you know, I've been struggling with on my own path as a um, gone through childhood sexual abuse came out on the other side. So So for today's podcast, what we're going to do is that we're going to discuss the recent events of this earlier this week where a gentleman or a man, let's just say that, that was recently was released. We're not going to give him credence by saying what his name is. Sort of like how on CNN they don't give the names of somebody that was a mass murderer for a school shooting. His name is not worthy to come out of our lips. We all know who we're talking about. So often we're talking about celebrities and those who have been victimized, who they victimized and the power that they have. But the reality is when we look at both of what happened to she and I, is that that power is manifested within that family unit. It's manifested within our our, our correctional system and our justice system that our voices just are never heard. We're the unseen, the unheard, and often forgotten victim, those of us who are victimized by childhood sexual violence. And I think that one of the things that we have to look at it about is that we're not going to discuss, as I've never done, about the sex. Because regardless of how you look at this, whenever we talk about rape or childhood sexual violence or or incest, it's all about the sex. Uh I think Gene and I can both say, and I think thousands of you are out there listening to us, we could testify the sex wasn't that goddamn great. We were raped. As experiencing something like this at a very young age, you don't even have words for it. There is no words to even put to what's happening to you other than knowing that something horrible has happened. You can't talk about it. Talk about it with anyone. You can't. And that's the whole part of this conversation that we're going to do is that we're going to do a call to action over the next series of this podcast series. And it's basically saying, as Jean so well put it, I will no longer be silent and protect our predators because that's what our silence has done. We didn't mean to do that, but our silence has allowed these people to continue on. I'm old, I'm black, I'm deaf, I'm a woman. I got nothing to lose. I have no political correctness other than I don't want my ass being sued. (laughs) Other than that, I think that we could talk freely, so. Yeah, and these are all the reasons that um, I appreciate you so much, Teresa. You know, it's listening to you, your vulnerability, and just how raw you come come across. Because what we're talking about, you know, there is no one way to talk about it. There is no one way to feel. There is no one way to, air quotes here, heal. We're all in a different a different place at a different time as we're going through the, our, our own healing process. You know, I think the most important part, as Teresa said, is that speak up. 
And as you alluded to, Teresa, the man who we will not name, seeing that in the news really spurred me to reach out to Teresa again and just say, I am damn mad. (laughs) I am so mad. I look at his face and, and there's that look of just that smug above the law, above the rules. You can't get me. And I look at that face and I know that look. We you all know, know. I know that look. We all know that look. That look mm-hmm. is the same look that you look at Jeffrey Epstein. You look mm-hmm. at Jerry Sandesky. You look at mm-hmm. that mouse-looking guy, Larry Nazar. Mm-hmm. You look at my father. You look at everybody that yeah. you know that is raped. They all have that same look. I exactly. am effing untouchable. And they have right. been right for years. And it, entitled. Entitled oh, to someone else's body. I think that that's really the, the, the entitlement. Because mm-hmm. I distinctly remember I was 14 uh, when my father raped me for the first time. And just the shock and awe of it and the pain of it. And lying on the floor in our nice suburban house. And me lay there on the floor and looked at him. And that look you described. And the words that he said, clean up the mess that you made. (laughs) And it's that level that you realize that you have no power. And I remember the one thing that I learned very young. I had a a crocheted elephant by the name of Effie, who I still have. And I've had now for going on the last 68 years. And she was the voice that I needed as a child. Uh I've talked to my therapist, because God knows I've gone through enough of them, and not to mention fired a whole slew of them, that what ended up happening, they would say to me, well, didn't someone think about putting you on medication when you were listening to your voice of, you know, this voice? It was like, Uh chicky girl, had it not been for the voice of Effie, I would not be here today. I would be suicidal. Uh I mean, there are numbers of times that I was homicidal and suicidal and have no goddamn shame in saying it. But the reality Thanks. is we needed to disassociate it at some level to make it, not just uh-huh. to survive, just to hang on. And I remember Effie said to me that day, I was laying on my bed after my father raped me. And I was sobbing. And she said, girl, get your ass up off this bed and go into the kitchen. My father, who was married to my mother's eldest sister, was sitting there at the kitchen table, yak, 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 and then having a good time like nothing had happened. I put on a pair of sweatpants. I I left the shirt that I had that was still ripped. My face Uh was bruised. My hair was all wickety-rackety. And I stood there in the hallway and made them look at me. And I sat at the table. That day, unknowing to me, Effie and I had declared war on these bastards. Now, mind you, I lost a lot. I lost a hell of a lot of battles because this son of a bitch raped me at least once a week for the next three plus years. But I refuse, and I think that that's the thing that we need to talk about, all of us, you had it, and everybody I talked to along the way, and God knows I've done this off and on for about 40 years, we all have this instinct, this victorious personality that is kept hidden, and we're told that we shouldn't act out, we should go along or whatever. 
No, no, no. We should act. We should act out. We got enough Karens running around in the goddamn world right now. We should all start acting out in some level about bringing awareness to this. Yes, absolutely. And silence only empowers them more. It only makes them feel stronger and more able to continue what they've done. And my childhood is very, I have big chunks of years just missing. It's as if, you know, I, I have proof that I existed to some extent only in photos, not because I remember it, but just because there's pictures. So you must have been there, you know, <laughs> you didn't just pop into the world, you know, as a, uh, you know, 13 year old, when, which is, I suppose, probably about the age the abuse must have stopped or maybe a year or so before. So you were um, very young when this started. Yes, very young. And, you know, I'm in my mid-40s now. I only just, within the last, you know, two years, have been in a safe enough, stable enough place in my own life that I've been able to come to terms with it, really uncover what happened. Um, you know, I was of the mindset, all of the mistakes that I had made in life, all the relationships that I have had with men throughout the years, um, all of the bad, abusive assholes that I've, you know, spent time with, all of these things and all the drama and drinking and doing drugs as a teenager and never going home was all because I was a delinquent and a terrible person and someone who was just completely opposed to any kind of authority. So it was always I was the problem and I had something wrong and I was wrong. We're, um, all, we're always the wrong. Come on. Mm-hmm. We wore, the, we wore right. the wrong dress. Let's face that. Yes. Um, we said hello. We were friendly. We had a drink. Over time, over years, like there's been the hints of like kind of the echoes, I think, of what happened, right? Like at my core, in my heart, I knew. I couldn't. I just couldn't. You could not, you could not bring yourself to believe it. I think that that's, I think that the great thing about my father, because he was such a, he was a pedophile and he was such an abusive bastard. There is no hint that this didn't happen to me. My father had no subtleties. There is no grooming. He just raped me. I think more than anything else was the sense of betrayal that my family knew he was a pedophile. They didn't call them pedophiles back then. But given the fact that they knew that he raped his 11 and 14-year-old sisters, he raped a 13-year-old girl before he went off to war, he had a transactional sexual relationship with my mother at 14. There might be an effing hint here, okay? But mm-hmm, nobody exactly. said anything. Nobody warned me about him. Nobody... One of the things that I want to talk about also is when you're talking about the man's name that we refuse to mention. I've been reading articles about mm-hmm. the one that pisses me off, and I think you and, you and I had a conversation about, is that they said that Yes, it was right that he was, you know, because of double jeopardy, whatever the legal terms were, that was done, that he could be released. But now he has to live with the shame. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> there is no shame for these kind of people. 
There's no shame. No, it's not their freaking DNA. It wouldn't have happened to, what, 60-something women? I don't know. If, if he was capable of shame. There's no shame in this. I mean, was your no. father ashamed? No. My father sure the hell wasn't not. ashamed. And I don't think there's anybody who could talk about being sexually violated by a predator that the word shame should ever be in a god dang sentence in describing these men. No, all. the shame was ours. The, the shame was ours to hold. We were the ones who were shameful. We were the ones who were <laughs> fast. We were the ones who were... My adopted mother found birth control in my room because, you know, she had to go dig through all my things just because, because. there's no trust, right? Maybe... 15 years old, she said, what is this? So you can go and screw every Tom, Dick, and Harry that walks down the street? We all had that crazy bitch. I mean, the other one that I, I was reading about the fact that how they describe the women who had been victimized. So some of these women had been victimized back into the, in the 70s. Some of these women was in the early 70s. And they still talked about them as they would be re-traumatized. Oh, the poor things. If you look at who these women were, uh-uh. you th- uh, these women did not know each other, and they hung in. And they are what I think of as strong, powerful, victorious women. They said yes. no. They women hung who in want there. justice. Yeah. Women who deserve justice. Women who say, hell no, we're, we're not being quiet anymore. And I think that that's one of the validations of why we want to do this podcast and what this, mm-hmm. the entire podcast series has been and then this conversations with Jean is the fact that we don't need to stay silent and that we're a hell of a lot stronger than what anyone says. And the idea of the, the press at any level using the word shame associated with that man, you need to stop. I think that we all should think about what happened to us and remember that look of those guys, the absolute, you know, I don't give a damn, as you said, the we've all experienced that look at some time in our lives by one of these bastards. We are told, and the one thing that I've heard over and over and over again is that nobody listened to a damn thing that I had to say. Mm-hmm. And the fear. And then we would hear things like, well, if you tell, your whole family will go into foster care. You know, the whole nine yards. And I've listened to women from all cultures, all ethnic groups, all different religions. You name it. I looked at a cross section of all of us. And the two mantras that we were raised with, regardless of what language that we spoke, was... Whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Yes. And we do not air our dirty laundry in public. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it happens. And every one of these women have said to me, if I, I remember talking to a Muslim woman and she said, if I told them my sisters could not get married because I'm damaged good. You look at how we are like a, tra- that what happened to us is a transactional action of some type. Our mm-hmm. bodies are violated. And then because if we talk, something will be harmed to the family. My grandmother told me when I told her what happened, she said, Teddy, if you talk, 
what will end up happening, you'll bring down the entire Negro race. I'm not sure how <laughs> teen I was going to bring down the entire Negro race at that point. But it's that whole concept that somehow we as children are forced to lie. We're forced to deny. We're forced to even defend the same bastards that abused us because well, we can't bring down yeah. the race or the culture, yes. the religion. All it. of it. The family, the everything. Yeah. And I know what happened, right, and to some extent. But yet I still have to, as a child, figure out how to operate in the world, go about my business, know that this person who did this horrible thing to me, I am dependent upon him yeah. for everything. I mean, and, and, and it was clear, this is his house. These are his rules. The food you're eating is his, and the air you're breathing belongs to him, so you better do what the hell you're supposed to do. There will be hell to pay, and you, you have no option, you know, yeah. as, as a kid. There was no choice. It would separate myself into two distinctly different little girls. That's the little girl who can function, and the little girl who lays in her bed at night and turns into a statue. That's who we are. That really sums up what ended up happening. And so that's why I resent when people said, oh, well, you should have taught. You were a child of eight years old. You didn't have a vocabulary to talk. You didn't have the words. I, right. I had the words, but I knew the level of fear of those words. My father was a correctional officer. You can oh. imagine the fear of that son of a bitch had. Like the man that we are talking about. And the, your father, my father, and all the other assholes out there that abuse uh -huh. kids. There is a there is a system, and I will talk about it in another podcast. There's an infrastructure that supports these bastards, including our court system, including our police departments. Because how many times have we said, try to tell someone and they'll dismiss us? How many times, yes. and especially if you're a woman of color, you start calling the police and you go, well, I was raped. They're going to start looking at you like you half ass crazy. Because mm -hmm. you have people like you, it just happens. There's all of those microaggressions and overt aggressions that we're constantly are dealing with that nobody talks about. Who is this bastard who's going to be able to say that what happened to me, that you're worthwhile even to go get a rape kit case? You know, and then how many hours do I have to have someone poking and prodding all over me and I'm still smelling this bastard stank all over me? You know. Right, and and in you know if you read the news these days, you know that nine times out of ten, your rape kit's just going to sit on a shelf and no one's going to do a thing about it. So yeah. now you've gone through. Not only have you been assaulted, but now you're also you know being manhandled by the police, by the healthcare system, by everyone who is now treating your body as a thing. You know, your body is now evidence. Yeah, First it's used and abused. Now it's become evidence. And, and in, no, in no way is your body ever being respected and no. cared for. Or, and, or are you? Let's think about it. Nor are you. Yeah. What is the conversation that somebody has about what happened to you? Who do you talk to? How do you have a conversation with someone? I right. basically have almost no family left. Because I did the unforgivable. I talked. I mm -hmm. said this shit happened. 
And one of the reasons that I talked is that I have younger siblings. And I was determined. My sisters, I have cousins, and I made sure, and I have my own sons, I made sure that everybody knew this shit happened to me. And that if anybody tried to harm them, I will personally do that asshole again. They thought I was crazy enough that, you know, and by the way, I may be 5'4 on a good day, but I could pull a bluff. Uh I could pull a bluff. I could whip out my finger like the finger of death and go, don't you do that. But the reality is they knew that there was someone there to protect them. And right, that's someone would what, stand up for them. And they needed that. And then I had long chats with the boys because I have a lot of male cousins and sons, as I said. I have two. And I made sure that they understood there are a lot of things you could do in this world, and Mama will be there for you. But you harm a woman in any way, you rape a woman in any way, I don't know your little asses no more. I will not right. defend and then, you. And you also have me to deal with when I come in. Yeah. Well, number one, down. yeah. Uh, number one, I ain't picking your ass up from jail, so we could start there. Uh, uh, no, don't, don't. And trust me, I have two sons. I've gotten calls. Okay. <laughs> now grown men who remember, and now they're teaching their children the same thing. You uh-huh. do not cross a line. I want to thank you, Jane, for this part of the podcast. We're going to do a couple more, and I hope everybody's enjoyed us. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you. You want to say yes. goodbye, G? Thank you. Thank you all. Um, thank you, Teresa. Okay. Talk to you soon, babe. Bye-bye. Okay.